Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDBE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another Thursday night edition of Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. I'm Mike Pursuta, joined as always for this weekly session by Matt Williamson. We're getting you ready for the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns on Sunday at Heinz Field, a game that uh, I still consider to be a great rivalry game. I know the Steelers have dominated for about two decades now and I know the threat of losing actually uh, plays into how good rivalries can become. But this one's got a lot of history behind it. And this year, at least uh, at this particular juncture of the 2020 season, uh, it's looking like a battle for two between two teams that uh, have serious designs on first place in the AFC North division and beyond. Matt, you used to uh, be an employee of these Cleveland Browns. What say you regarding rivalry or that's long since passed and this is just another ball game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just another ball game. I mean, it's, they're obviously cl- close proximity, uh, two really strong fan bases, a lot of history here, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, but clearly the Steelers have been the much better organization, the better winning team, obviously. I told the story today that that year that I spent scouting with the Browns, when we would get together in the war room and – you know, Phil Savage was in charge of the team at that point, and he he would he would say a prayer, and then he would say, "Now, what can we do to get better with the to, you know keep up with the Steelers?" And praying probably was the best <laughs> best approach, to be honest with you. As the Steelers were fifteen and one that year with a uh, a young quarterback in his rookie year that was ready to take over the division. Yeah, that young quarterback is now a uh, veteran quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. And he has a 22-2-1 record as a starter against uh, the Cleveland Browns. And, Matt, that does not include 2015 when Landry Jones got the start. And Roethlisberger came in early 
for Jones when the game was tied at three to three, and the Steelers went on to win thirty to nine. Are eighteen and one against the Browns at Heinz Field, which is the location of Sunday's game. Cleveland has not won here since two thousand and three, but uh, that was then, and this is now. And uh, on Sunday, uh, assuming the game gets played, which you know you always got to put that qualifier in when you're talking NFL now. <laughs> Can't, can't assume too much two, three days down the road, but uh, they're scheduled to play at 1 o'clock on Sunday, and it'll be the 4-0 Steelers against the 4 and Cleveland Browns. Uh, we've got a lot packed into tonight's hour. We're going to hear from Kevin Stefanski, the latest first-year head coach of the Cleveland Browns, as he uh, gets his feet wet in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland rivalry. Uh, we'll also check in with Merrill Hodge, uh, our weekly guest of honor. Uh, Merrill has got uh, some stories about Pittsburgh and Cleveland and playing the Browns in Cleveland and all that that used to involve. And uh, also he'll have his uh, normal take on what we might expect to see on Sunday. Before we get to any of that, however, let's uh, catch you up on the participation reports from the two practices today. Good news for the Steelers. Center Marquise Pouncey upgraded from did not practice yesterday to a full participant. Marcus Allen and Derek Watt also full participants for the second consecutive day. Deontay Johnson upgraded from did not practice to limited, so he's at least trending in the right direction. The bad news, David did not participate for a second consecutive day. Matt, it looks like that ab injury is going to keep the cash yeah, and we've seen this line operate at a pretty good level without the Castro. I still think he's the Steelers' best lineman. Uh, it sounds like Wisniewski's, you know, trending in the right direction. But it's going to be the Rook, and the Rook looked all right to me, and I think he's got a bright future. He had a really stiff test last week against the, a really good Eagles front, and, you know, the, the, the Browns have a good pair of defensive tackles as well with some pedigree to them as well and some athletic ability that will challenge the young man. But I think he's up for the challenge. Yeah, you're talking about Kevin Dotson. Right. Uh, who, who has been uh, periodically replacing DeCastro this season. Another one of those rookies, Matt, that, uh, boy, we all started to speculate when things kind of ground to a halt back in the spring. Boy, what's this going to mean for this year's rookie class across the league? Uh, no mini camps, no OTAs. Eventually we find out no preseason games. They're going to get thrown in to games that count right away. And look at the contributions the Steelers have been getting from these guys, Chase Claypool, Alex Highsmith, and uh, Kevin Dotson also uh, included in that group of rookies who have just found a way around uh, a non-traditional transition into the NFL, and uh, they are being heard from and they are being noticed. Yeah, it's amazing to me, you know, even like from a fantasy note, people are like, don't draft any of the rookies this year. Well, they're doing pretty well, and across the league you're seeing a lot of rookies contribute. And the Steelers in particular, this looks like a winning class, considering especially you don't have a first-round pick. You may have a stud in Claypool. Uh, we've talked about Doxon a lot here, too. And, you know, Highsmith is passing every challenge as well. I'm a little bit excited about McFarland, too. I mean, we're going to probably see baby steps with him. But it looks like a highly successful rookie class now and down the road. Yeah, you can even throw in uh, the undrafted cornerback, Jason Pierre, who is showing yeah. up on special teams. Uh, you know, it's, it's, he's, he doesn't have a heavy workload, but those special team snaps are significant. Uh, and uh, he's holding up his end. Uh, Cleveland has uh, some pretty recognizable names on its uh, practice participation report 
today as well. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. sent home with an illness today, didn't practice. And boy, anytime you hear illness, you, you know, you start thinking, is it COVID or is he just uh, got the sniffles? I guess we'll find out more tomorrow. Uh, Jarvis Landry, the other uh, big time receiver for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, uh, hip slash ribs, did not practice for a second consecutive day. Uh, on the other side of the, oh, also uh, guard Wyatt Teller with the calf did not practice for the second consecutive day. He got knocked out of Cleveland's win against Indianapolis last Sunday early in that game and was replaced by former Steelers offensive lineman Chris Hubbard. Teller not looking like he's going to be a part of what goes on. And in the secondary, it's a little murky as well. Carl Joseph, safety, hamstring. He missed the Colts game, did not participate for a second consecutive day. His replacement against Indianapolis, Ronnie Harrison, concussion against the Colts. He did not practice for a second consecutive day. So it's uh, getting a little thin in that Cleveland secondary. Some other guys uh, limited for uh, a second consecutive day, including quarterback Baker Mayfield, ribs, and defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi, abdomen. Mayfield uh, told people in Cleveland uh, yesterday, Matt, that uh, mama didn't raise no wuss. So I, I think he's going to I think he's going to play. But uh, as Cam Hayward so eloquently put it this week, it's up to the Steelers to uh, make sure he's continuing to think about that injury throughout the game on Sunday. Yeah, well said. And Baker is a tough guy. He's a competitive dude. I'm sure we'll see him. But if you watched that game last week, he was in noticeable pain. And rib injury, cracked ribs, whatever, would be pretty low on my list of things I would want to deal with versus Steeler pass rush. And He's got a good group protecting him. He's missing a Wyatt Teller, the right guard, and that could spell, you know, work out well for Stefan Tuitt in particular. But I don't really care who's blocking for him. I mean, this pass rush is going to get home. The pressures they create, the quarterback hits, let alone the sacks. I give Baker about a, I don't know, two out of three chance of finishing the game. I think they are uh, well-peopled, as Chuck Noll used to say. At that position, Case Keenum, I think, was uh, as backups go. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty good guy to have uh, to fall back on if you have to. But uh, certainly, uh, if Mayfield's in the game, the the trick for the Steelers will be to keep him in the pocket and not allow him to get out on the wing where he likes to do a lot of damage. But uh, Matt, before we start uh, breaking the Browns down, and uh, we'll we'll get knee deep in that with Merrill, uh, you've done some interesting work uh, relative to third downs. I'm a little concerned because it, it smells like analytics to me, but it, it's uh, nonetheless some interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I finished this project up about 2.15 a.m. I was on a roll and just started digging in heavily. And a lot of it's, you know, from the conversation of, you know, boy, the Steelers' third down defense is really poor. Oh, look, how about the percentage they're allowing on third downs? Did you see what the Eagles did to them on third downs? And I, I understand that. I'm not dismissing it at all. But really what, I, what needs to be taken away and needs to be looked at differently is a huge key for offense and defense, of course, is just not getting to third down. If you're, off, if you're on offense and you're snapping the ball at third down, that's not where you want to be. I don't care if it's third and one, third and three, third and 30. I mean, you look around the league, the Bills are just under 58% on third down. Green Bay, Kansas City, and Vegas are all between 51 and 52, basically. And those are the only teams that are over 50% on third down. So what my point is, 
if you're a defense that can get teams to third down, you're going to win the coin flip more than you're going to lose it. And most teams are, you know, there's nine teams that are less than 40%. There's 19 teams between 40 and 49. So again, getting teams to third down is really, really important. And that's the the beauty of the thing is, is I got a lot of this from Warren Sharp, who is a heavy analytics guy and one of my favorite analytics guys. And he's done a lot of study that early down success rate, you know, moving the ball on first and second down is a huge indicator, a huge win indicator, how strong a team is for this reason. You don't want to get teams to third down. And his way of thinking, and this is what I kind of stole off him and then took it up a notch, was he's not as concerned with, boy, this team was 12 of 16 on third downs. He's more worried about the denominator in that fraction equation than the, than the numerator. Like, you got that team to third down 16 times. That's great. That's what you want. You're winning on first and second down defensively. That's exactly what you're looking for. Get these teams into more and more third, make them play, make them snap the ball on third downs. And the Steelers have been tremendous on that. And I understand that their, you know, win percentage on that down hasn't been great, but they've only had 56 defensive snaps on third down. So it's somewhat of a small sample size. Not that you can ignore it, but again, you just want to keep forcing these teams to snap the ball on third down. And, that's to me is is an encouraging number more than a discouraging number because they are one of the best in the league. They are averaging 14 snap their opponents are snapping the ball 14 times per game against this defense on third down and a lot of times bad things are going to happen. That's when the blitz package comes. That's when you get a lot of defensive backs on the field. People get into, you know, strict throwing situations and whatnot. And then I looked at it from the other side of the ball and was just curious where the Steelers' offense was. And this was a little troubling, actually. Like, I came away from the study saying the Steeler D is doing what it should. It's forcing teams into third downs. But when you look at, you know, Steelers' offense, they're snapping the ball 15 times per game on third down, which is the most, the worst in the league. Their early down success rate has been pretty poor. But there's also two sides to that for Pittsburgh in that, they are dominating time of possession to the point where, you know, they're second in the league right now in time of possession, and they're running the seventh most offensive snaps in the game. So, therefore, you're going to have more on third down than, say, the Jets or some bad offense. But that being said, you know, their, their early down success rate, first and second down, is 31st in the league. So they're, it's kind of two, a good and a bad on offense a good on defense, and I sent you all this, and I was just curious what you thought about it. I mean, I know you're not an analytics dude, but I think there's a lot to unpeel here. I, I'm I'm intrigued, and I think it's interesting, but uh, here's where you kind of lose me. I'm looking at that Philadelphia game in particular. Mm-hmm. Third and nine, third and 17, third and 10, third and 12. I don't care if these situations are coming up often or infrequently. You got to stop these, don't you? You got to get off the field. Yeah, I'm not excusing it. Don't get me wrong. It's a problem. It was a big problem in that game. Carson Wentz deserves some blame. You know, the, the, that that's the the rash. You know, you I always look at it like from a doctor's perspective. You go in saying, look, my third downs are wrong. Well, 
what let's figure out what went wrong you know how can we fix that well tackling wasn't great Wentz deserves a lot of credit uh they had a coverage bust or two uh, that doesn't make it okay but the fact that you get to an awful lot of third downs is a really really good sign and what your the theory would be that was an outlier they're not that bad at defense where teams are going to consistently convert third and double digits exactly if we're getting them in that situation we have them where we want them look look at the bright side and then offensively I do think the time of possession part is uh a a factor as as you pointed out uh but yeah it's a it's a good point uh that you know first down second down first down second down move the chains that way that means you're humming right yeah this league right now is so offensively driven that the consistently good teams are getting first downs with two snaps. And uh, I think the Steelers may be capable of doing that as they uh, as yeah. they move forward. So uh, interesting stuff. Uh, what what's uh, what's your other hot take on the uh, the Steelers at four and zero? Basically, coming out of that Philly game, were you more encouraged that the offense scored thirty eight points or? Uh, less uh, excited that the defense had the performance it had? It's a good question. It's probably equal. Uh, I think that one thing we need to realize is scoring is up so much in the league right now that when quarterbacks make throws, when refs don't call holding penalties, but they call, call a ton of pass interference, you know, a lot of offensive favoring uh, officiating that we're seeing, it's really hard to play defense at a high level. Um, obviously, the Steelers did some things poorly on defense, but I still came out of that game saying I wouldn't trade this defense for any of the 31 in the league. You know, I still think it's the best defense in football, and I don't know that there's noticeable chinks all of a sudden. Um, but the offense, I'm super impressed. I mean, Claypool stole the show, of course, but I just think that the the variety of five men offensive you know, skill guys, they can trot out there and all the different ways they can attack you and now moving guys around in the formation and the pre-snap motion, things are coming together really well and Ben's orchestrating all of it. Yeah, I would I would agree. I, I think the offense uh, took uh, a major step forward. Uh, it's not just based on points because I know they, they, were, they were taking a knee at the end of the Denver game. And at the end of the Houston game, when they could have scored and gotten into that 30-point uh, category that seems to be the magic number around the league. But just Roethlisberger getting the ball out of his hand as quick, as quickly and consistently as he has is what's getting my attention. We've got a lot more to get to tonight, so keep it here. We're going to be here till 8 o'clock, breaking down Steelers and Cleveland Browns coming up on Sunday with Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship. 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta along with Matt Williamson. We're getting you ready for the Steelers and the Browns on Sunday at Heinz Field. And uh, for our interview segment this week, uh, we will uh, dip back into the Zoom well. Uh, I've been uh, presenting these periodically uh, when I think they're appropriate. And in this case, I think it is because the Browns have another new head coach. Yeah, it's that uh, time of year again, time for the Steelers to test their luck against the latest guy who is perceived as the guy who's going to turn it around in Cleveland. That would be Kevin Stefanski, a longtime assistant with the Minnesota Vikings. He's from Philadelphia. He went to the 
University of Pennsylvania, one year on the Penn staff in 2005, and then he's he was with the Vikings uh, from 2006 through last season. Now he's the guy who was uh, tasked with turning the Cleveland Browns around, and Matt, uh, so far, at least through five games, four and one, a pretty good turnaround. Absolutely, and I, I, he's a very smart, detailed-oriented guy. Uh, a lot of people think he's, you know, a pure Shanahan West Coast disciple, but he has a lot of his own ideas. He comes from a varied background. He in- implements a lot of different concepts to the offense. Um, made some good hires. You know, Coach Callahan, their offensive line coach, is one of the best in the league. And I, I know, I know that the Browns often win the off season in terms of boy, they just traded for Odell Beckham and made all these more than they win the regular season, <laughs> right? And it usually doesn't translate. But I thought this off season, it wasn't like fantasy football roster building that they had a real plan to get Stefanski the pieces he needs for his system. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting hire, and uh, it's been an interesting start. Uh, let's give a listen now to uh, the few minutes that Kevin Stefanski spent with the Pittsburgh media via Zoom this week. With um, with your running game, without Nick Chubb, you've been able to you know keep going here the last week and do so well. What kind of challenges did the Steelers present for that, and how have you guys been able to overcome his, his loss? Yeah, without Nick, I mean, Nick's a great player, so it's never going to be one man that replaces him. So we feel good about that running back room uh, and understand that it's never a one-man show. In terms of the run game versus this front, it's it's a very stout defensive front. They got great players across the, the front seven. They got safeties that can fill, corners that'll tackle, uh, and they present a, a schematic challenge just in terms of that that three four look. Uh, they can they play great out of their sub four down stuff that they do. They, they vary their different movements, but just with the players that they have along the front, it's gonna be a very physical uh, matchup. Thanks, Joe. We'll go to Mike Persetta for our next question. Kevin, there had been a lot of turnover there before you took the job. What did you see in terms of potential uh, entering uh, Cleveland? And has anything kind of confirmed your initial suspicions so far in terms of what you have to work with and where, where you guys can go as a team? Yeah, Mike, uh, I felt real comfortable with, with the guys that we had in the building. Uh, and we knew that we are going to add to it. And I think that's what... Andrew Berry and his staff did this offseason. They uh, added some really solid players and some solid people via the draft, via trades, via free agency. Uh, so, as you know, it, it's all about the people. So, we uh, we added some really good ones to a, a, a locker room. I think there are already some really good players uh, as well. So, comfortable with what, we're, with what we're doing. Thank you, Mike. Next up, Ken Benz. Picking up on that, uh, Kevin, one thing I was going to ask uh, was about some of the additions that you tried to make this year that were unavailable, particularly up the middle on defense. Uh, I know you try to get more stout with, with Billings and, and Delpit in the draft. Um, how do you feel that your defensive coaching staff has coached around uh, not having those guys, and how have the players who have had to step in in some of those roles done so far? Yeah, Tim, I think uh, the defensive staff has done an outstanding job have had some injuries there just like every team does uh, but you gotta be ready to pivot and i think the guys have, have gotten the other players ready so credit to the coaches but really credit to those players to step up when their number was called and that happened in our last ball game uh, had a couple backup safeties go in there and, and made game-changing plays for us thanks tim i don't see any hands up mike joe Tim, any more questions 
We'll go to Noah. Noah, your line's open. Yeah, uh, you, I know, Kevin, I know you weren't here um, last year when the Miles Garrett incident went down, um, but how, is, how have you gone about addressing that situation? Um, Coach Tomlin spoke about it earlier in the week. Just wondering what the message has been in your locker room. Yeah, no, that was something that we addressed uh, really way back when, when I was hired, uh, and we've moved on. Uh, I'll tell you, Miles Garrett has grown as a person. Uh, obviously, everybody knows the production that he's uh, providing uh, in the games, but he's also providing a ton of leadership for the team, and he's doing a nice job. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. I'll go back to Mike. Do you have much of an appreciation for Pittsburgh-Cleveland from a historical standpoint? And a rivalry standpoint, or is that something you kind of have to go through once to, to, to really get a feel for? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I probably got to go through it uh, once. But I, I know it's important to our fans, obviously, to the fans of Pittsburgh. It's, it's a, a big game. You got two really good teams playing. Uh, so I, I get all that, um, and we're excited for that. But at the end of the day, we're really focused on playing a good football team and playing our best. Thanks, Mike. Back to Tim Benz. As far as um, the offensive line goes, I know that Mike and uh, Cam Hayward today both talked a lot about your tackle play. How have you felt about the guys on the interior? And uh, I guess that extends to uh, Hubbard, too. He used to play here, of course, but uh, if he has to be uh, the starter this week. Yeah, Tim, with that offensive line, you got to be careful. You can't single one guy out or you get him in trouble with the rest of the guys. Uh, so I'll just talk generalities. But uh, – yeah, the interior guys, you know, they've done a nice job. And really so much of it is, is that group plays as one. I'm sure you've heard it said it's like a fist. Uh, and those guys really have to play together to, to succeed. So uh, the interior guys, I won't name them, but the interior guys have done a nice job. Thank you. Last call for questions. Go back to Noah. Yeah, uh, Coach, this is the first time your, your organization has been 4-1 and one in a while. Uh, how do you kind of hone in all that hype and pressure that the city kind of puts in? Cleveland's obviously a very big football town, um, and you should be excited about it, but how do you keep it uh, all honed in and focused on the Steelers just this week? Yeah, no, it's not real hard. You know, we, we kind of come to work, uh, keep our head down, and then just kind of focus on the task at hand. All right, we'll go back to Mike, and we'll make this our last question for the group. Kevin, you've got kind of a reputation as a two-tight-end guy. You seem to be collecting a number of good ones there in Cleveland. Can you just talk philosophically about uh, what you like about multiple guys at that position? Yeah, Mike, we've been – I'd say we've been pretty multiple on offense this year, rolling a bunch of guys in there, uh, sometimes three wide, sometimes three tight ends. I think that just – what we're trying to do is, as best we can, uh, make life hard in the defense. So – I think the, the nice part of the tight end position is there's a versatility to it where you can line those guys up really anywhere in the backfield, in line, in the slot, out wide, and uh, the defense has to defend all 53 and a third uh, across the field. Good stuff there from Kevin Stefanski, who, if you're keeping track, is the 12th head coach counting a couple of interim guys at the ends of seasons. The 12th head coach since the Browns franchise resurrection in 1999 but Matt interesting stuff to me that number one he was he was calling everybody by their name and answering yeah is that rare I was sitting here thinking like very yeah I bet very yeah um 
a people person. He talked about he liked the people in Cleveland. You know, how could you possibly succeed where all these guys have failed? I didn't want to ask it like that, but sure. uh, you know, I kind of want kind of wanted to know what he was thinking. And to your point about you know the football cards they had been collecting, uh, there were some good players there, and uh, they just had to kind of supplement and fill in. Uh, you, you sign a Jack Conklin in free agency. You draft a Jedrick Wills 10th overall. Boom, there's your offensive line. They tried to do the same thing on defense. Now, the problem, uh, Del Pitt, the safety from LSU, has been hurt the entire time. Greedy Williams, uh, cornerback, has been hurt the entire time. And now they're starting to lose multiple guys at that safety position. But you can see the plan, at least, was there. Oh, yeah. I think there's a very good plan, you know, that – uh, do, do I think that signing Austin Hooper to be the highest paid tight end in the league at that point was smart? No, but they are a heavy, heavy two tight end set. And then they drafted a guy too with Njoku's contract being up. I mean, and they, and they wanted Harrison Bryant, the, yeah, uh, right. the, Ma- the Mackey award winner. Right. Who, uh, I remember all those draft shows we did. We all liked him, right? Absolutely. Uh, pr- pretty good player. I still think Njoku, he, he is just working his way back. Uh, from injury, but uh, that's a former first-round pick, and uh, you got a lot of talent on this team. If uh, if they can keep it together on the back end defensively, that's been a little bit of a challenge. But uh, kind of in a similar fashion as the Steelers have done, uh, they kind of erase the big plays they allow by taking the ball away. Oh, absolutely! I, I think that's a huge key. Is I absolutely. This is going to sound like I'm cutting on the Browns because I don't mean to be because they do do some things really, really well. But they've generated a dozen takeaways so far, the most in the league, I think, by two or three. I mean, it's a, it's a noticeable jump from them between number two. And I think by doing so, they have masked a lot of problems in their back seven. I, I like their defensive line a lot. I like Denzel Ward a lot. But their other corners, the slot corners, the safeties – they're on their third, fourth, fifth safety. You know, Grant Delpit was supposed to start. Linebackers. They've been struggling and searching at those positions. And I think their ability to take the ball away has masked, masked some of those problems. I also think it's masked you know, how poorly Baker Mayfield has played at times, too. Because, you know, they're right there with the Steelers with best starting average field position because they're often taking the ball away at midfield, giving it to the offense in a good spot and, you know, not getting down heavy on the scoreboard either because they're always taking the ball away. Then we heard this a ton with the Steeler defense over the off season. Can you, can those kind of things sustain themselves? History shows they don't. I mean, it's probably fluky. I don't think that the, uh, they're going to continue to take, you know, 12, 12 turnovers in every four or five games. Yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick would agree with you. Right. When we come back, <laughs> we're going to be joined by Merrill Hodge. Merrill uh, is always fired up to uh, jump in on the program here, so we will get to him. He's got not only uh, insights about the current Cleveland Browns-Steelers matchup, but uh, Merrill, a guy who goes back with this rivalry. Did you ever get to uh, Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Matt, or are you too young a guy? Um, too young a guy. Uh, I saw a couple games there, a lot of games there that I covered. And, uh, one, uh, when I was in college as a fan, what a, what a great classic historical dump that place was. (laughs) I I miss, I miss stadiums like that in November with a mud field when it's 20 degrees and snowing. Uh, those were the days Merrill coming up (laughs) when we come back. So keep it here with Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers preview 
on your flagship home of the Pittsburgh Steelers, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta with Matt Williamson. We're previewing Steelers-Browns coming up Sunday at Heinz Field. We'll be doing that until 8 o'clock tonight right here on DVE and SNR. It's our pleasure now to welcome our weekly regular guest of honor, Merrill Hodge, to the program. And Merrill, I want to hear your breakdowns of of what's going to decide the game on Sunday. But before we get there, I got to ask you, what's it like for a kid from – Pocatello, Idaho, to not only make the Pittsburgh Steelers, but travel with the Pittsburgh Steelers to Cleveland Municipal Stadium for the first time and walk up out of that baseball dugout and take it all in and experience everything that Steelers-Browns used to be. I called that place a glorious dump before we went to commercial. Uh, Just, you know, take take me back. What stands out uh, about those days? Yeah, well, that's actually a good description. Um, and there's a there's a whole host of things we could um, articulate to emphasize the, that uh, the statement that you made about that stadium. I mean, it was let's put it this way: the showers that exist, the shower where where players shower today in each and every locker room is bigger than the locker room in Cleveland on for the away team. And that's not I'm not making that up. That is the truth. I mean. Actually, before or after the games, oftentimes a mass majority, half if not more, because we had cars or we had cars taking us home, you wouldn't even shower. You just you just changed and you went home to shower. And that's the truth. That's true because because after the game, when the media moved in, you, you had no room, no room. Now, my first experience, you got. I came from a place in Idaho where there's. I worked on a farm. I worked on a ranch. I cowboyed for a while. Um, my hometown was about 55,000 at the time, somewhere in that area, two or three lights in the town. Okay. So Pittsburgh was a big city to me. This is the second game of my NFL career, and the strike was going on. Or we were going to strike that year in 87. And that was this game was the deciding game and to show unity, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I remember most about that trip, there's a bunch of things actually, but I remember, you know, we, we busted down and I actually fell asleep on the bus. And when I woke up, I mean, I, I swear to you, I, obviously I, I, drew, I slept the whole way because, but when I get up, I'm like, Oh gosh, we haven't even left. I'm like, because I'm looking around and there's Steeler fans everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, I'm just, maybe it's just from flash. I'm like, wait a minute. I can't, what? but that was the first, that I started to understand about Steeler Nation. I mean, because I was like, holy cow, this is like, we didn't leave Pittsburgh. I mean, there were fans everywhere. Now, the next step is when we go to the game. Um, I've kind of, I've shared this story a couple of different times about the batteries, but they were throwing batteries at us because it was a really a hostile game. I mean, it was the one game whereas um, two teams decided we're not going to shake hands because what we had decided, well, excuse me, what Gene Upshaw had decided is that we would, um, each and every game, both teams would walk across the field, shake hands before the game to show unity in that we were, um, we were strong 
in what we wanted, why we were going to go, if we went on strike, why we were going on strike. Okay, well, this game should have been an indication that we were not united, and I could have told you that um, based on the meetings that we had. We were not united, and this game actually verified that. So we're the only teams that didn't do that. But, you know, they felt like it was going to be a real hostile game, so they brought in a ton of security. I mean, a ton of security. And there was more security in the dog pound at the time when we came out to warm up than people were at the dog pound. But none of them were facing the dog pound. They were all watching us warm up. And when you turned around, it was kind of it was, kind of, it was so ironic. It was like all these security people are watching us, and behind them, they got people throwing stuff at us. Right? So, like, this is just insane. I'm like, you know, the security has no. I mean, anyway. And so, but they're throwing batteries. They're throwing dog bones. And uh, a dog bone had landed right in front of me. I was standing there. I turned around. I'm like, you know what? Okay. I'll, listen, I'm 21. I'm, I'm young and dumb. Um, I decide I'm going to throw one back. So as I pick <laughs> up the bone, I throw it. I go to throw it back, and it had cracked when I when it landed, and half of it flew off and hit Mike Webster in the helmet. <laughs> now. If you could imagine a bone hitting a helmet, there's a ringing that goes on. <laughs> you can almost hear it go, ding! <laughs> now, I'll back up one second. Mike Webster was my roommate, okay? So Mike and Webster had a good relationship. However, he was like rooming with your dad. I mean, because he'd been in the league for so long. <laughs> and it was odd at first, but we had a really good relationship. We got along really well. So when it hit him in the helmet, I was just like, I have these big eyes. I'm sitting there going, Oh uh, no, I'm just in my head. I'm like, uh, and he just called, he just calmly turned to me and he said, you know what? It's bad enough. They're throwing them at me. I'd prefer it if you didn't throw them at me too. <laughs> like, well, thanks. Buddy. And he just, then he just went on with these, you know, on with warming up. I'm just like, I, I mean, so I have never forgotten that first experience in Cleveland may have been the most, indebitable mess mem- memory I've ever had of any game just because of all the environment, the things were going on. Mike, to your point, after the game, I remember I went back up in the stadium and Jim Brown was standing at about the 50-yard line. I mean, it was so, like, eerie-like in the sense of you could almost feel the ghost of football pass in there. You, you could just – you just, just, I mean, the seats were terrible. I mean – they were. It was the. It was right. The most horrendous stadium of all, but it was actually one of the most exciting stadiums to play in. To be honest with you, um, the atmosphere that they had had there. But um, listen, uh, most people that hear the hello, oh, well, listen, there's not a player that play that's playing now that may and a few players probably remember the stadium. But um, I don't know how long that their new stadium's been around or how long that other stadium's been gone. But shoot, um, let's use Chase Claypool, for example. I don't even think he was born when they had the new stadium. So <laughs> knowing anything about the old stadium would be a definite history lesson for him. But there's great there's great history there. I tell Cleveland fans, I run to Cleveland fans all the time, you know, and they have to have to let me know they're a Cleveland fan. And, and I let them know, go, listen, when you guys left and went to Baltimore, actually the second saddest fan in all of football was actually the Steeler fan. I go, because we had nobody to hate. I go, it was so depressing to us. I'm like, we had nobody to hate. We had nobody to get excited about playing and where were we going to play in those the two games. So um, this might be a chance for this rivalry to start to be rekindled because the Browns are much better than, than they've been in past. Um, this will be a great test to see just how good they are. But um, 
they're better. They're better than they have been the last couple of years at this point in the season. Yeah, they certainly are, and they're showing a lot more promise. That being said, I've been kind of contending that they've kind of won despite their quarterback. And I wasn't a big Mayfield fan coming out. I think the I'm curious what your thoughts on on Baker were as a prospect, where he is now. What's your analysis on Mayfield? I, I wasn't a fan until I watched him on tape. And then I'll be honest with you, I was like, I was actually, I, he, he changed me. Because um, you can't, take can't lie, I don't care what your opinion is. I mean, you got to be truthful to stuff. Just like if you like a guy. You know, I actually, I don't, I'd rather not like it. I'd rather, I don't want to know anything about a guy and watch tape on him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, man, I remember Manti Teo. I'm, I'm going to do the Maxwell Awards, and Manti Teo is going to be there. And I'd heard, I played with a lot of Samoans and Tongans in my career. I never met a bad one. I mean, they're just great people. Um, and I was like, you know, I don't want to meet the kid and then watch him on tape. Because he'd probably, he'd probably be like you know, my buddies, Tony Manu and Ron Manu and Lakey Hay Newley, all these people <laughs> that I just love. Like, and then if I watch him on tape, my eyes will be blurred. So I was like, I want to watch him before. And when I watched him, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not a middle linebacker in the National Football League. This ain't even – I don't know how he's the best college football player. I don't even know how they got that. Because that's a – a long story short, so I just I I don't want to meet somebody or have a personal impression. Now, Baker Mayfield, um, I'm always neutral. You know, even watch on television because tele, TV lies, highlights really lie. And um, but I wasn't expecting what I saw when I watched him on tape as a college player. I actually walked away and was going, "Holy cow, he can play! He can play!" You know. Um, he did a lot of great things. I mean, he was in time. He had rhythm. He was accurate. Accurate. Um, so I liked him coming out. Now, when you look at him in the pocket now, he is not actually how, like, how he was in college. He's actually more erratic right now Very in the erratic. last couple of years than he was in college. You know, and I'll tell you this. I mean, like if he just played from the pocket, if, if they had not incorporated the run action and boot action that they got going, they, they may not be. I have the record they have. Um, that has made a big difference. And to me, that is one of the big phases of this matchup that will make a difference in this game. One way or the other, it's going to make a difference of how the Steelers handle it um, or how well the Browns can execute it. And that phase of it, you know, they got a lot of different phases in their passing game. But what I do like about what they do with they see, they don't just do run action. They do run action with boot action in it. And so the fans know boot action is when the quarterback now boots. He gets depth and then he gets width. Now, when you get depth and width, the thing that that allows you to do that, you know, that I think people don't really understand, it allows your routes to become much deeper. I mean, you can do a starter goal at 15 yards versus five yards. That's a big deal. And when you have that kind of time, I mean, you can sting a defense for touchdowns, not first downs. And, it's been a productive part of their passing game. Um, only a couple times have people been able to disrupt that. And actually, when they've disrupted, they've had a lot of success because you're kind of hinging on a couple. It's, a, it's an either-or read, you know. Um, surely run, you can, clearly, a run could be an option. But once you get that much depth, that's not your, your greatest option. It's, you're going to have either a touchdown or a, a deeper intermediate route. And then... Um, I'd say about 80% of the time they've hit that. So it's something that uh, well, obviously is going to be used. It'll need to be used. And, and they do it against aggressive defenses. The more aggressive you are, the more you lack discipline, especially on the perimeter. 
the more they can take advantage of that. You know, the Steelers have done a good job. They did a good job last week against the Eagles um, of targeting them with some pressures on some run action stuff where Carson Wentz couldn't even get set up to throw. So, you know, if you can dial those kind of things in, although that's not going to happen every time, you know, you can neutralize that. And I just think that's just such a big part of this game when, when the Browns have the ball. Merrill, let's jump ahead to when the Steelers have it. we got about a minute left. I think it's similar to the Eagles' defense. Very good line, but that secondary can be had. What do you think? Well, there's there's truth to that. But I'll tell you this, uh, Mike, um, their defensive line at times is really – I'll tell you this, week one. Now, listen, I know they played the Ravens, but that's, you know, that's irrelevant for what I'm about to say. They guess it's like they didn't show up. I mean, they just got – throttled i mean they the, the ravens ran a little bit on them early and they were non-existent they slapped them all over the football field now when you see that on tape um you know and you want to you want to control the game and control the environment i mean that's what i would try to do i'd try to slap them around first you know say listen you want to play we'll play we're not gonna let you rush our quarterback we're gonna we're gonna smack you in the mouth uh, a little bit here we're gonna be physical with you and, and come at you um, because they have shown us the race, they just they just got manhandled. They got pushed around, and the teams have done that. Teams have at, at times, not not like the Ravens did, but at times have had success. Run the ball on them, getting on the edge with them. So, you know, um, that I think is a big factor in this one. You know, and then listen, at the end of the day, I mean, number seven is the difference in this whole game. He's he's playing. Let's uh, let's at, at let's leave it there, Merrill, because. We got we to bounce. We got about 30 seconds left. But number seven's the difference. I'll take your word for that. You don't have to uh, embellish it. Uh, hey, great stuff as always. Thanks for the stories, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. See you, buddy. That was uh, Merrill Hodge, and that's going to do it for tonight. Thanks to uh, Merrill for checking in, as he always does. Thanks to uh, Shirtless Tom behind the glass uh, back on Fleet Street for keeping us up and running and uh thanks to you for finding us uh, we'll look forward to uh doing it again next week uh until then for matt williamson i'm mike pursuta you have been listening to steelers preview right here on your steelers flagship 102.5 dve and snr good night everyone